Joshua chapter 24, and then 1 John chapter 5. Joshua chapter 24, then 1 John chapter 5, and I'd like us to look at some of Joshua's final remarks before he died. Some of his final words to the children of Israel before he passed from this life. Joshua chapter 24, and I'm going to start with verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that sentence. As for me and my house will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Now if you go over to the New Testament, the end of the New Testament, 1 John, just before the book of Revelation, 1 John chapter 5, I just want to read the final two verses. In 1 John 5, Verses 20 and 21, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. We are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Well, of course, we all know that Joshua was Moses' protege. Moses didn't begin his ministry until he essentially was 80 years of age. Joshua kind of started his when he was about 40, and he lived to be 110. According to the narrative we have, Joshua knew his end of days were coming, and he wanted to give some, some last words of counsel to the children of Israel to essentially tell them, remember what God has done for you. Let's not forget how he redeemed you, how he brought you out of sin, how he took you away from bondage, took you from nothing and turned you into a people of greatness and power. And he even goes so far as to tell them God gave you lands that you didn't labor in, cities that you didn't build, and even vineyards that you didn't plant but you're enjoying all of the fruit of that. And it's at that point that he breaks into this whole idea in chapter 24, verse 14, about fearing God. Now, the fear of the Lord is important, and we should look at it in a positive way rather than in a negative sense. God isn't somebody sitting up on the throne just waiting to pound you. That's not the image that Joshua's trying to give you. But Joshua is saying that there should be a holy reverence and awe in your life with respect to God. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they didn't find it a problem at all to go to that tree and eat of that fruit. But they forgot that God was watching them. 
And sometimes we forget that God's eyes are on us when we're touching the forbidden fruit also. And you say, what is forbidden fruit? Anything God says that you should not have. That's forbidden to you. And when you transgress God's word and break the commandment of God, you taste it of that forbidden fruit. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, the world has forever been in this condition that it's in now. We have death, we have sin, murder, lies, slander, rape, and thievery. But he says to serve him in sincerity and in truth. And I'm glad he put sincerity and truth together because we've all met people who worship different gods and in different religions who are certainly sincere, but you know as well as I do, you can be sincerely wrong. And when someone says, well, what gives you the right to be the one to determine what religion is right and what religion is wrong? The only thing that gives you or me the right to make any determination about any religion is this book right here. That's it. When you become a Christian, the Bible becomes the basis of your life, your Christian living. It becomes the authoritative manual in your life that teaches you how to live a godly life. Either you believe it or you don't. If you do, you adhere to what it says. You say, well, pastor, I thought the scripture made it very plain that we weren't supposed to pass judgment and make these kinds of uh, statements about other religions. Listen, folk, Paul said, he that is spiritual judges all things. And the fact that Joshua in his final remarks to the people are saying that they should serve the Lord in truth and sincerity, that is to show that you can be sincere and yet in error. Somewhere on this planet, I can promise you, there are people bowing down, worshiping trees. Somewhere on this planet, there are people that are filling up bowls with vegetables and rice and setting them in front of statues in the Far East, believing that those gods are going to find those, accept those sacrifices acceptable. Somewhere in this world, there are people that are practicing black magic and voodoo, like in Haiti and in other places, and they've got all kind of potions that they concoct and they stir all of this stuff in pots and then they pour this into this contraption and this into this cup. And they're trying to put hexes and curses on different people. But I want you to understand when you make the determination that something is wrong and something is sinful, you're being biblical. And this is what God desires of us. God's not interested in us saying, well, all religions are essentially the same. They all lead to the same God. If they all led to the same God, Joshua would have said, worship the gods of Egypt. He would have said, worship the gods from where you came. But he did not say so. So when we look at verse 14, then he says, put away these gods. Now, I know there are people today who don't believe in God at all. And so the atheists like to spoon feed you atheism in small doses. And one of the ways they do that is by undermining the validity of any kind of truth at all. There cannot be anything that is absolutely true, they will say to you. 
So they say it's impossible that Genesis chapter 1 is correct. How could you just have one God who made all of this? But we, we, we've told you before, we, we could do this with a, with a pen. We could do this with my belt. I could put my shoe up here, but I'll use the shoe as an illustration. But think, uh, think about it. If, if, if I had my shoe, my loafer sitting up here right now, there are only four ways to give an account for its appearance up here. Number one, we'd have to say that it was eternal, that the shoe has always been here, but there's not a human being in here that's gonna say my particular shoe has been here forever and a day, that it was here before you got here and here before your grandparents got here. The, the other thing we'd have to say then is that the shoe created itself. That, you know, just several thousand years ago, ancient man was walking down a trail somewhere, and then all of a sudden this beautiful maroon loafer popped on his feet, and he knew exactly what it was. And if it had strings, he knew how to tie it up and what to do with it. That'd be only the second way to account for the shoe. The third thing, we could just simply say it's a mirage. It's not even there. It's a figment of our imagination. So even though I think I'm walking around in shoes, I'm actually barefooted. But the fourth one is the only one that makes sense, and that is the fact that somebody had to manufacture it. Somebody had to create it. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about a door, a blade of grass, a planet, or a star in the sky. Somebody had to make it. Nothing just exists on its own. You don't have anything in your house that is eternal, other than the eternal destiny that's in your soul. You're either going to be with God or you're not going to be with God. So in this world today, because of relativism, we're being fed atheism in small doses. And this is why you'll hear people say things like, well, it just doesn't matter what religion you worship in. We well, ought to read Joshua's final remarks one more time. He said, put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. What gods did they serve? The gods of ancient Iraq, the gods of ancient Mesopotamia, the gods that they believed had wives, and these kinds of gods that lived in pyramids. And then he turns around and he says, even the gods in Egypt. You've probably seen hieroglyphs before. Have you ever noticed the images of the gods in those hieroglyphs. Sometimes you'll have a god with an animal's head and a human body. Who wants to worship something like that? They believe that their ruler was a descendant of the sun that sits in the atmosphere. I don't think I've ever seen a ruler that I believe is deity of any kind. Nevertheless, Around this world, I've seen all kinds of religions. and Sometimes I've found some of these things appalling, what they'll do. Not only in how they worship, but also in the care of their dead. I've told you before how in parts of Africa where we go preach, when a man or woman dies a year on the anniversary of the death, they go dig up the remains, put that body on a gurney, and then they'll dress whatever is remaining in some kind of clothing, and then they'll carry 
it around in some kind of wagon or on that gurney, take it all around the main street so that the decedent can see what, what all new businesses have come to town and how things have changed. I can tell you right now, the dead, they, they don't know what's going on. There's no sense in digging up those, those remains at all because they don't know what's going on. But people have various customs that are connected with their religion. And it was Joshua that's saying to them, I don't want you involved with that. And that's why the Bible says all the days of Joshua, they served God. All the days of the elders of Joshua, they served God. I'd hate to think that as long as I'm alive, that you or any of the people in the other churches would serve God and listen to the king. And that when I died or the elders of the churches died, that people would stop serving God and then run off into some other religion. But I'd like to believe that the truth is embedded in your heart and in my heart strong enough so that whether you're here, there, or anywhere else, you'll do what God wants you to do and not be intimidated by a culture that says the gods of Egypt aren't as bad as everybody says they are. I think the church got in trouble a long time ago when we stopped looking at the culture of the world as an enemy, but we started viewing it as a misunderstood friend. We just need to welcome it in. They, you know, we need to have a little sympathy and pity for it. But it was John that told us that in this world, they're the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. So this is where Joshua says in verse 15, he said, whether the gods your father served, you got to make a decision. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And that's a decision we have to make every day. What kind of home do you want? What kind of marriage do you want? What kind of church do we want? Do we want God to be able to have his way in our heart and in our life? <coughs> I remember on one occasion I had to go and do a funeral in a church. And as I often do, I get there a little bit early, just kind of look around what's going on in the church, read some of the literature picked up the program from this particular church from one of the previous Sundays, and there in the program was a quotation from the Koran. It's supposed to be a Christian church, and they're quoting what Muhammad said. I said, oh, my, this is, this is trouble, you know. We, we don't know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. As for me and my house, I decided that it's better for me to just pick one trail and stay on that trail and go to heaven, then try to divide my lives into five or six different people to walk on a lot of different trails trying to get there. And if you do the same thing, you'll find that we'll all ultimately get to that one heaven that the folks in the Bible are talking about that served God. But we have to be consistent in how we live for God. And all of those preachers that have preached to me and taught me and mentored me, they all made it very plain. There's one name under the heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When I think of my first pastor, Bishop Miller, I don't think I ever heard him one time say to anybody in that congregation, you know, there are a lot of ways to get to heaven, but we just prefer that you come here and hang out with us. I never heard him say that at all. He made it very plain, Jesus Christ is the only way to serve the king. When I got into the military, had another pastor. We were in Okinawa, Japan. 
he also get up and preach the king of kings. He didn't preach about two different kings. He preached about one king. When I moved to North Carolina, I had a pastor. Brother Hester got up there and he preached. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. He didn't say everybody ought to know who Buddha is. He didn't say everybody ought to know about Hinduism. He said everybody ought to know who Jesus is. When I went back to the Middle East and was preaching over there in churches, I had a whole lot of friends that believed different things. They would say to me, well, Brother Darrell, you've got to understand, you know, we, we all essentially worship the same, same God. You know, the Muslims, Allah, I mean, it's just an Arabic word that means God, and that's true, no doubt about that. But it's a, they say, it's, it's, they all descendants of Abraham. I said, it depends on whether or not you believe what the Quran says about their descendancy from Abraham. I said, we, we can't all be the same. I said, if we're all the same, then I might as well convert and become what they are. But the whole point is, the reason Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, is because Jesus knew that every creature wasn't involved with the kingdom of God, but they were involved with religions that were different, distinct from Christianity. He said, what I've taught you, go and teach other people. You say, well, pastor, if you do that, you're saying to other cultures, that their cultures are of no value. Listen, you can rationalize this and reason this any way that you want to. The bottom line is, he said go. He didn't say sit around and try to figure out how they were going to feel about it, whether their self-esteem was going to go down or what kind of value you're going to place upon it. He simply said, tell that neighbor they need this gospel. Now, why did they need the gospel? Because Jesus said, accept a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Imagine how many people leave this world every day, honestly believe, and they're going into the, the, into the heavens to be with a God, and then find out when they draw that next breath, they never make it there. You know, the years ago they had them people, I think out on the West Coast, they, they uh, I can't remember if one of them was a doctor, but there might have been 30 of them. But they all committed suicide on the same day wearing purple jumpsuits or, or uh, sweatsuits or something like that. And all of their bodies were laid out the same way in this house. And this man had told them that this Halibop Comet that only comes around so many different times every millennia, that if, if we die right now, we'll all be able to catch a ride on that Halibop Comet and spend eternity there in that, in that world. Now, can you imagine, oh my goodness, can you imagine taking whatever substance they took, then you lay down there, pretty soon you begin to wheeze, and then pretty soon that heart begins to beat a little bit slower and slower. Afterwards, you then you can't breathe at all. There's a little bit of suffocation coming on, and then you die with the hope and the enthusiasm of believing you're going to be on the back of a comet and then open your eyes and be in hell. Oh, my God. And then people wonder why Christians do everything they can to encourage people to serve God. I don't know about your house. I do know about mine. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. See? And that's the choice that has to, be, has to be made. Good friend of mine, when 
He uh, raised his kids, and I mean, they did a fabulous job. I knew them, knew the uh, kids when they were being raised. One of the girls got older and just decided that because she was forced to go to church when she was a kid and forced to go to Sunday school, when she went off to a liberal college out in the Pacific Northwest, the, the, the college teachers and them told her that her parents brainwashed her. Now, mind you, the professors out there don't think what they're saying is any kind of brainwashing at all. But, but because mom and dad took them to church, said they brainwashed her, and you need to sit down with a psychologist and have that psychologist deprogrammed. And so this daughter then started going through all of these different steps of sitting there with that psychologist and then was coming home telling mom and dad, who were preachers, that you brainwashed me and it wasn't right. You should have let me choose my own religion the whole time, just breaking mom and dad's heart as that kind of a thing was being told. Can you imagine something like that? Now here we live in a world today where nobody asks their children when they get up to go to school to first or second grade, when's the last time you asked your child, do you want to go to school today? Well, you know, if you, if you, don't, if you don't want to do any classes today, why don't you just stay in bed and just go ahead and play games on your telephone all day long? That'd be fine. Well, Mom, Dad, that, I think that would be great because I don't want to go for the next three months. Well, honey, that's okay. You just stay right there. I'll bring your dinner to you. I'll bring your lunch to you. You do whatever you want to do. You know it doesn't work like that. You tell them, get up, get out of that bed, get ready to do what you have to do when it comes to everything else. So why would we think that when it comes to religion, it's not as important as the education? See, what mom and dad know about God should be transmitted to those who are learning about God. And when we come to the house of God, we should have every expectation that the preacher is going to put in the people what's in his head. Somebody said, don't preach your convictions to me. Then what in the world am I going to talk to you about? Because everything I tell you is my conviction. I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe Jesus' blood was shed for our sins. I believe Jesus died and rose again the third day. I believe he ascended to the heavens. I believe one day he's coming back. I believe all of us are going to stand before him one day and be judged according to how we've lived. But pastor, don't preach your convictions to us. I don't have any choice. All I can tell you is what the Bible teaches. So Joshua knows this might be the last time he ever addresses all of these people. And I want to ask you, if you only had one opportunity to talk to your family before you died, what would you say? If you knew that within a few short hours you're going to lose your life, but you had an opportunity to gather your kids and your grandkids, are you really going to spend all your time talking about who you want Grandma Spoon to go to and, and whether or not you want Uncle Jack's shoe to go to him and where you want the guns to go? Or are you going to talk to somebody about something that is important and eternal? Because that is what's going to have lasting value in this world. So yes, Joshua, he told him, and the people said to him in verse 16, Oh, God forbid that we serve any other gods. Well, then we fast forward several thousand years, come to 1 John, 
Our Savior has come and gone. Miracles have been done. Lives have been changed. People have been born again. A church has been started. It's an indestructible institution. It's one that the devil cannot kill. And now this church is going into all the world and it's telling people about Jesus. And you can see now in 1 John chapter 5, where John comes to the conclusion of all of his remarks and he's telling his readers about things that we know for certainty. He said, this is what I definitely know. And he says in verse 20, we know the Son of God has come. He said, you're never going to convince me Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He walked on this same earth we're walking on right now. He has come. He might have wore sandals, didn't wear shoes like we wore. He might have wore a robe, didn't wear jeans and, and suits and pants like we wear. He might have wore some kind of garland around his scalp. Maybe didn't wear hats, cowboy hats and baseball hats like we wear. <clears throat> but we know that he has come into this world. And that's a conviction that has to be strong in your heart. John said, if anybody says to you, Jesus has not come in the flesh, he's antichrist. That means anybody that denies Jesus was a man. Don't, don't pay him any mind at all. That's what John, John is trying to make very plain here. And he says, because he has come, he has given us an understanding. See, that is to say there are things that we need to know. He's given us the ability to reason and come to some very definite conclusions. That's what he said. He's given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. So if we know him that is true, I can identify him that is false. Now, there are preachers all over the place that take advantage of sheep all the time. You say, what are some of the things that they do? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Yes. You know, there, there are preachers that fleece the sheep for as much money as they can get. They'll preach 10 minutes and then take an offering. Preach 20 minutes, take another offering. Take five offerings in, in one service. I've, I've seen preachers that raise money for projects that they have no intention of using the money for. But they'll use a project as a reason to gain a whole lot of cash. And then say in the end, Change my mind, I don't want to do that. That's wicked, folks. That's wicked. That's wicked. If a, if a person gets up here and says they're called to minister the word of God, but then get up here and preach the word, and then out of the pulpit, privately tell people, I'm not really, really sure whether or not that Bible is true. They're handling that Bible deceitfully. That means their conscience is telling them, I don't believe this, but yet they get up here and preach this or that because they know they won't get paid if they don't say it the way they're supposed to say it. But there are thousands of preachers in America that deny the virgin birth, but they'll never say that from the pulpit because they know they'd probably get thrown out of that church. Thousands of preachers that deny that Jesus Christ lived in this world without sin, that he did walk on water, that he multiplied loaves of bread multiplied the fishes, did wonderful miracles. They personally believe those are legends, fictitious stories made up by people years later. But they get in that pulpit and they'll tell their little inspirational stories about it because they know if it's ever discovered 
that they don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, that there's a good chance people stop coming to church. Folks, I'm telling you, Jesus has come and given us an understanding that we may know him that is true so that we won't change in what we believe. I had a conversation one time with someone, and they, they, they said to me, they said, you know, Daryl, you, you, uh, you, you, you preach and you, you, you get on this stuff, and said, some of this stuff kind of steps on, on my toes when, I'm, when you're dealing with all of this. I said, well, look, I'm, I'm not picking on you. Just move your feet out of the way, you know. I'm not trying to bother you. I'm just, I'm just telling you what, what the scripture says and, and, and what the word of God says. But ultimately, it's all going to come back to what do you personally believe? That's what it's going to come down to. What do you personally believe and what are you going to do with that truth? Years ago when we used to do that study in the word down to Brother Swaggart's before I came up here and, and we'd sit there and uh, do that, that stuff is live. You know, you're sitting there, a whole lot of people listening to us as we're talking about all of this and then when people are calling in. So as we're sitting there around these microphones, the one who's programming the show is holding up signs, letting us know we got a question, got a caller from so-and-so, and then they hold that sign up, tell us what that question is. We got to determine right there on the spot if we want to deal with this question or if we got some fruitcake that's calling in just trying to cause some kind, kind of a problem. But, but there were many times where just when, when we go to, go to a break, and cut that off and we're just sitting there talking and everything that we realize that a lot of people in this world don't know the truth and that a lot of people in this world don't want to know the truth. See, it's one thing to be ignorant of the truth, but it's a totally different thing to be the kind of person that wants to disregard what is true. And that's what many folks in this world are. They're disregarders of what is true. They say, don't, don't, don't tell me what that book says. See, it's the 21st century. Why are we living our lives according to a book that was written thousands of years ago? It's because God's word is eternal. God's word is timeless. It's not for a particular age. It's for every generation. And this is how God has structured all of this for us. So he says he's given us an understanding that we may know him, that is true, and we are in him. That is true. No other faith or religion on this planet claims to allow that God to be in you and then for you to be in God. But Christianity, there's a union that takes place when we're walking with him. We become one with him. And it says even his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. Do you realize that when 1 John was written, thousand miles to the east of where John was, there were Buddhists in Bangladesh and Pakistan, parts of China. Do you realize there was Shintoism in Japan and parts of China? Do you realize Hinduism had been around since the days of Moses? And yet here John is saying this is the true God and eternal life. But you walk in love with people that are in different faiths and different religions. But you make sure that you know who you are in your relationship with God. 
Christians very often are accused of being uh, exclusive or arrogant, but folks, listen, it doesn't matter to me whether somebody, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, all varieties of Baptist, Pentecostal churches, holiness churches, Church of Christ, whatever, if they believe Jesus was born of a virgin, Jesus lived without sin, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, resurrected, went away to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. If they believe all those foundational truths, they're on their way to heaven just like billions of other people on this planet that love the King. But when you start running into people who deny any or all of those truths, the entire thing begins to unravel because the one that denies Jesus is virgin born is also going to say it's impossible then that somebody could live in this world and not sin. How in the world could somebody die and then on their own be raised from the dead? See, pretty soon it just all begins to fall apart. So John says in verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And you have to be able to identify what an idol is. An idol is anything that's going to occupy your time, your money, your resources to the degree that it's going to rob you of your faith in God. See, your faith in God. If, if somebody comes along and they say to you, I think you ought to join into this religion here and look at all the miracles that are taking place, then pretty soon they're going to they're want you to give your money into that, and pretty soon they're going to want all your time. Folks, you've got to be strong enough to resist it, strong enough. I know that that's hard for a lot of, a lot of people, and, and, and sometimes just in order to maintain your faith, you've got to know how to handle people of different religions. I've had the Mormons come to places where I'm holding revivals, and they show up on their bicycles and their black dress pants and their white shirts, and they come in to the, the churches and they want an opportunity to speak. You don't let a Mormon get up there and espouse their doctrine. I can tell you exactly what they're going to do. They're gonna, they know most full gospel people love the KJV Bible anyhow, so they'll get up there and start with that KJV. Then after a while, they're going to start talking about the Book of the Mormon in front of everybody in that congregation. You don't let that go on at all. If, if I'm with someone and, and a different religion is, is, is kind of making itself known, I just in a very loving and tactful way, just let folks know I'm Christian, I'm full of the Holy Ghost, walk with God, have no desire to turn my back on Jesus Christ. No desire at all. You've probably even seen it out here from time to time, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. They'll kind of, you know, the groups that are here will go to another town, then the people from the other town will come here. And then they'll go knocking on the doors and stuff, and they'll come walking out to your place, to your farm. You can see them driving in, you know, they're looking for somebody. A lot of people get nervous, you know, when they see them showing up. Summertime, people that are cutting grass, by the time they realize they're coming down the road, they get there and get to the house, and I'm in the lawnmower still going, and people have ran in the house because they don't want to deal with it. I don't do that at all. Uh, Tiff will tell you, 
And I'm sure they all know fairly well about Pastor Darrell and them house, but I don't get as many visits as I used to get because of what I'm about to tell you right now. One time years ago, we had some came knocked on that door. And, 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 and I came to that front door and I stepped out there on that front porch and there was a lovely looking man and his wife and some kids there and they started in with their literature, you know. Uh, and they're telling me it's going to be an atomic explosion, going to destroy all the planet Earth. And they're going on and on. I said, oh, I said, don't worry about that. I said, I, I love the Lord, and I mean, Jesus is my king. But we're having this special meeting, and you need to come because you need to hear the truth. I said, I know the truth. And I said, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He took care of that with his blood. And I'm going on and on, and I can see I'm getting nowhere with them fast. And, and they could see I'm getting, they're not getting anywhere with me because they have all these, these questions and answers programs. So I said, I'll try a different tack this time. And so as we're standing there, they're continuing to talk. I finally just linked down there to them, to them little kids, some little kids. They couldn't have been no older than Tracy. And, and, and I just said, I said, darlings, I said, I want to tell you something. I said, one day you're going to get older and you're going to realize all of this that you've learned has been a lie. I'm telling you, they got off that porch as fast as you've ever seen anybody get off that porch. And I hadn't seen any. I hadn't seen any. But, but here's the thing. When you tactfully and lovingly try to explain to people what you believe, but they are so persistent that they won't even leave your property, then sometimes you have to be strong. And that's why John also says, when someone comes to you with any other doctrine other than the doctrine of Christ, see, and they're trying to spread it, he says, do not receive them into your home. And John says, when they leave, don't say to them, God bless you, or don't bid them Godspeed, because you're not trying to encourage that seed to grow in the earth. What you want to see happen is truth to spread. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's stand. Surprised. Surprised I made it that long. Oh, my goodness. Thank God for his word. Thank God for truth. You've got a pastor that loves you, committed to preaching the truth to you, and I'm so glad you guys are committed to holding my feet to the fire so that I will preach the truth to you. Because I know if I didn't do right, Justina, she'd, she'd get on me real bad if I didn't do right, you know. So we have to tell folks about the king. But we want everybody to have a blessed day, have a, have a really, really blessed week. Wednesday night, as I said, we plan on being out here again. Remember to be faithful in your giving. Consider it a blessing that you're getting out of here at 11.35. Oh, my. Father, we're grateful this morning to have this opportunity to love you. I thank you for this time of fellowship. You gave us a few moments to once again reconnect with your word and think about how good you've been to us. So be with us all till we gather again in Jesus' mighty name and everyone said, Amen, amen. Praise.